I believe wholeheartedly in the power of invitation. I am in a unique position at our church where it is more difficult for me to invite others to church than perhaps anybody because, uh, one, people look at me and say, well, you're just trying to grow your church. Two, I can't really spend any time with people on a Sunday morning. I get about two and a half songs that I can be out there, and then I come up on the stage, and then I talk to everybody afterwards and help clean up. And so I can't really invite, but I do believe in the power of it. And this year, if you were at our annual meeting, if you picked up a copy of our annual booklet on the back table, which you should do if you haven't done, then you know that our call this year for our church, our our vision, our Our kind of aim is to encourage each other to speak up. And the one specific thing that we've talked about within speaking up is inviting other people, inviting others to know and love Jesus, to believe in Jesus, inviting others to gather with us on Sunday mornings, inviting others to connect and uh, through connect groups or just having dinner at your house or whatever it might be and inviting others to serve Uh, the church and to serve the world, to to really be within the plan and the will of God for their lives. Now, when I say these things, it's easy for me to hear the comeback, and I don't think it comes from most of you in our church, most of the people in our church, but I do think that there is this response. Of course you want that for us, Chad, because it will grow the church and it will make you look better. Right? I mean, isn't that kind of what is easy to think when a pastor says invite others to be a part of what we're doing? The the natural response almost is to stay to say, of course you want that to happen because you have something to gain from it. Now I want to just say up front that that's not the reason. And in fact, the reason is is kind of based on some statistics that we saw. And the reason is based on uh, what we think is really kind of the, the gap between people being a part of church and not being a part of church, between people being in a fully developed relationship with God and not being in. Uh, let me just give you the stats that we gave you at the annual meeting this year. 67% of people say that a personal invitation would be effective in getting them to visit a church. 63% say a personal invitation would be effective in getting them to visit a church coming from Uh, a friend. The first one was family. Sorry, I missed that word. Uh, 67% would come if a family member invited them. 63% if a friend invited them. 2% of people, of church members, invite an unchurched person in a given year. 2%. Even though there's more than a 50% chance that a person will come if they're invited, 2% will actually invite. 79% of people that sit in front of me that go to church nationally were at some point invited by a friend to be there and that's why they go to church. And then this one, it's staggering. 70% of unchurched people have never been invited to a church. And so I believe that we must be an inviting church because I believe also in the power of church. You may say, well, still... You have something to gain from it. All those stats dictate that if we invite, then our church will grow and you'll look good. But I believe that invitation goes beyond just growing a church. I think, and we're going to see this in the story today, that it has profound implications for not only you as an individual, but for the person that you will invite 
to be here. And today, we're going to look at a story that I think is going to make those stats more heartbreaking, the stats that say 70% of people have never been invited to church. But we're going to also look at a story that I think says, look, inviting people to church is not just about growing a church. It's about something much deeper, much more important than simply that. As we talk about different ways to be a witness to the gospel, to the story of Jesus, to his death and resurrection for the removal of sins. Invitation is a part of that. And as we've seen in these stories of Acts, there's many ways that we can be witnesses to Jesus, but one of them, and the one that we'll see today, is that if we're going to be witnesses, full, complete witnesses, then one of the the tricks we must have in our bag is the trick of invitation. And here's how the story starts in Acts 10, verses 1 and 2, and we're going to read through the whole passage of Scripture. We'll move pretty quickly. It starts this way. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Cornelius was a powerful and pious man. But history tells us that despite that, he never could fully engage in a relationship with God and I'm sure the way that he wanted to. In Judaism, there was a problem for Gentiles. And the problem was that Gentiles could not get as close to God as Jewish people. Even if they were converts, they had to stay further out in the temple from the presence of God than a Jewish person. Women had the same issue. And so here's Cornelius, a man who loves our God, the God of the Jews, the God of the Christians, yet still he had a problem, and the problem was he could not fully engage the God that he wanted to serve. And in fact, there would have been people, every time he would have entered into Jerusalem to worship God, they would have looked at him funny. They would have been like, well, you're not our kind. You don't really fit in here. You're just one of these people who have kind of converted to Judaism. But you're not like us who are really close to God, who really have it all together, who really know what this thing is supposed to look like. And then verses three through eight, it says, one day at three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering to God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke, who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of the attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So here's Cornelius, a man who doesn't believe that he can enter into a relationship with God like those people who were born into the right family. And all of a sudden, God shows up to him and says through a messenger, hey, there's a guy named Peter and you need to have a divine encounter with him. And Cornelius doesn't hesitate. He simply sends men to go down to Peter. Now, this is what happens. Uh, As this is taking place, something is taking place in Peter's life. Peter, before I read this to you, is the 
head honcho in the new found Christian faith. This is not long after Jesus has died and risen again and Peter has preached his first sermon and a couple of thousand people have entered into Christianity. They've gained a relationship with Jesus and the church has started and it's all fresh and all new. And, and this is what we read. About noon the following day, as they were on the journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. Peter has this apocalyptic vision. It's similar to the vision in the book of Revelation, if you've ever read that confusing book before. It's something that where he is kind of out of himself, and he sees the sheet being lowered down from heaven to earth, and on that sheet there are all kinds of animals, now, if you were to look in Leviticus chapter 11 of the Old Testament, you would see there a list of animals that the Jewish people could eat and that the Jewish people couldn't eat. And no good God-fearing Jewish person would ever eat an animal from the do not eat list. And so the sheet comes down, Peter hears a voice, take and eat, and he's thinking, even the clean animals on this sheet have been defiled by the bad animals. There's no way I'm going to eat any of this. Now, Peter may have, in fact, thought this was a test from God. Like, hey, even if you hear a voice, will you do my will? Will you do what I've called you to do? And Peter emphatically three times declares, I will not eat from this sheet, if we could rhyme. I won't do it. I won't do it. But this vision is not primarily about food, as you maybe can guess. It's about what was said last. Do not call anything unclean that I have declared to be clean. And Jewish, I mean, Peter doesn't know it yet. But this is a premonition about what God thinks of people, not necessarily what God thinks about food. The idea here and we're going to see this come right through, is that if Jesus makes something clean, then that something is clean, despite what they or it might have been in the past. And what is hinted at here is that it isn't just Jewish people that can have a relationship with God. It's all people because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And the story continues. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you were looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is, uh, excuse me, he is a, who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that you could hear 
so he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. Verse 23 indicates that Peter's starting to get the message from God. The message that he shouldn't look down upon people who aren't Jewish. He shouldn't neglect the fact that they also need Jesus. Because, and the reason we see that Peter's starting to get it, is because Peter would not have invited a non-Jewish person into his house in the old days of his life. He would have said, thanks for coming. I'll consider coming with you, but there's a hotel down the road. But Peter, slowly in this story, is starting to understand that God is saying something to him about who can become Christians, about who God wants to engage in a deep relationship. And then in verse 24, it says, the following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Peter travels, it's about 30 miles, takes about a day, and he shows up. And Cornelius did what? He invited his relatives and close friends. And what is about to take place, we'll come back to this in a minute, is not just about some personal conversions. It's not about a few people becoming Christians. It is much bigger than that. One author said it this way. This story then is not about a private audience that Cornelius or even Cornelius and his immediate family had. This was a story of great significance for the Caesarean church for it was probably a major turning point in its life. Cornelius is not a Christian. Cornelius doesn't understand the story of Jesus, but he knows that he's about to hear it. He knows that he's about to find out a way that he can fully engage and embrace a relationship with God. And his natural reaction is to get on the phone and call his friends and his family and say, hey, I'm about to hear the words of God. I want you guys to come too. The natural reaction of a non-Christian when knowing he's about to hear the gospel message is to say, I better invite somebody else to be a part of it too. And it is going to absolutely change the church in Caesarea, but it's gonna change the lives of the individuals that he invites as well. As we will see in a moment, A simple invitation to a place where someone can hear the word of God can be life-changing. This is what one man says. I grew up going to church and attended regularly until I turned 19, but I spent most of my 20s as a professional sinner. You could say I spent those 10 years only thinking about me, but as I look back now, I know that all the partying and sinful things in my life were all to cover up a deep hurt. Around my 30th birthday, I decided it was time to grow up. Even though I had given up many of the immature things I had done, I was still hurting on the inside and still far from being a follower of Christ. Now that I wasn't doing the dumb stuff I used to do, people assumed everything in my life was good, but that wasn't true. I was still hurting and lost. 
At that time, my girlfriend and I were not in a good place and we were on the verge of not making it. But God had a plan in the works. It began when her, her boss invited us to church and invited us again and again. For over six months, he kept inviting us. And finally, she agreed and attended a few services before convincing me to go. On that day, God forever changed my life. It's also when I first understood the power of inviting someone to church. I'll never forget the name. Brent Weinsauer, the man who invited us. You see, invitation is natural when you believe in what God has to say. And not only is invitation natural, but invitation is powerful. And we're going to see that continue in this story in verses 25 through 23, it says, as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Notice this part. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are all well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send a Joppa for Simon who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. There's this natural reaction, it seems, uh, sometimes in the Bible for people to worship the messenger, but Peter says to uh, Cornelius, hey, I'm just a man. I'm just a man. So get up off the ground. That's how this story begins. And I want to point out that you should never worship the messenger, but only worship the God who is giving the messenger. But notice what Peter says at the beginning. He says, look, I'm not even supposed to come in your house. In fact, Jewish people were known as being antisocial because they didn't hang out with their neighbors unless they were other Jewish people. Um, but a lot of Jewish people, if you're unaware, didn't live in Jerusalem or even in Jewish places in the empire of Rome. They lived in other places. And so all around them, they had people who were not Jewish. And yet they didn't hang out with them. And so Peter shows up and says, I want you to know that uh, I probably wouldn't have come in here if I would have been invited yesterday. But God has told me. And what God told him is that when it comes to the story of Jesus, it is not based on race. It is not based on uh, economic status. It is not based on what people have done in the past or what they have not done. Everyone is invited. Now, it's interesting because we learned about a guy named Philip last year. And, and Philip, if you remember from last week, he, he went all through the countryside after he got kicked out of Jerusalem. And he was telling people about Jesus. And the Bible says this weird thing, that he told everybody about Jesus until he got to Caesarea. And apparently he stops in Caesarea and we don't know what happens there at all. But you can't help but think that Philip was paving the way for what we're about to see. 
that he was willing to tell his neighbors, hey, there's this guy named Jesus. And it doesn't seem that any of them accepted or a lot of them have actually accepted the story of Jesus yet. But Philip, just to bring this up again, in his evangelistic heart had had seemingly laid a pathway for what takes place in our story. There's something else that I want to remember here, and that is that God remembered. That's how Cornelius states this situation. God remembered what I had done. God remembered me. And the reality is that there is no person on the planet that God has not remembered. And that's at the heart of this story. You know that there are people that you think, well, God's forgotten about them, or God doesn't care about them anymore, or they're too far gone, or they're not quite right for the church crowd. And the story is saying God has remembered them and invited them into his story. Will you invite them? And I want to point out just a couple of sections from this passage, this part of our scripture today. And that is the first part that while they were talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. Part of the reason I want you to invite is because I want us to have a large gathering of people. And I don't want a large gathering of people for any benefit of my own. That's true. If you know me well, you know that's true. Uh, I said this a couple of weeks ago, the more our church grows, the harder my job gets. Uh, I mean, as people come in, then there's more personalities. There's more people who send emails. There's more people who get upset. We all know that to be true, right? It doesn't get easier for me, and I don't get a pay raise per person or anything. There's nothing like that in my contract. I want a large crowd of people here on Sunday mornings because what is said at the end, what Cornelius, who's not a Christian yet, says, he says, now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. I believe every week I prepare a sermon and that God leads me to prepare. And I think he leads me to prepare it so that I can speak it to you. And I want every person on the planet to hear it. It's one of the reasons I take our internet ministry so uh, take it so seriously is because I want every person to hear what God has put on my heart every week. But I believe, and you know this, you've been around, that God uniquely is present when we gather together on Sunday mornings. When I speak here, it's better than somebody hearing it recorded because God is here in a different type of way. And so I want millions of people to be here when I preach because I believe that God has put on my heart, has commanded me to say certain things and I want everybody to hear it. You see, part of the reason you invite, especially to the gathering, is because you believe that God is here and his word will be spoken. There are very few Sundays where I don't at least share what the gospel is. And it's intentional because I want you to wake up and to speak up and to go, wait a minute. My neighbor needed to, needs to hear the gospel and he would have heard it if I just would have knocked on his door and said, hey, do you want to go to church with me? We don't invite to grow a church. We invite so that we can have a large gathering of people who will hear what God wants them to hear. Do I speak the perfect words of God when I speak? No, obviously not. 
I make weird noises all the time, and if I was speaking directly the words of God, no weird voices would come out of me. But do I speak the words of God? Yes. Every single week. If all I did was stand up here and read the verses, then the word of God would have been spoken, and you should have invited somebody to be a part of it so that they might hear what God has to say. We don't invite to grow our church. Church growth is not something we talk about at this church. We talk about calling all people to believe, gather, connect, and serve, and we believe that those things happen as people hear what God has to say to them, and that happens in unique ways when a church has gathered. The story continues. Peter began to speak. Notice this. This is very key. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one who God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone believes, that everyone who, who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Let me say this. I hope that all of us that are here this morning have encountered the resurrected Christ. Not in the way that Peter and the early disciples did, but I hope that we've all encountered them, encountered him. But I can say this, I have. I have interacted with Jesus. And it's one of the reasons that I want to get up here every day and be a witness to what Jesus has done, that he did miracles, that he died, that he rose again, so that everybody who calls on his name can have forgiveness of sins. The night that I first encountered Jesus in a very real and powerful way is the night uh, that I began the quest to stand on a stage and tell other people about it. And I want you to invite others because I want everybody to know that I have encountered Jesus and his forgiveness and his love and his peace and his joy and his hope has changed me forever. Now there's another part here. Peter said, I now know, I now know that God does not show favoritism. But the problem is we do. When you think about who you ought to invite to church, when you think about who you ought to invite to hear the gospel, you think about a certain type of person. You think about certain people, and these people usually kind of have a few struggles, but they're kind of okay too, so they'll fit in at church. You forget about 
the people who won't fit in. You forget about the people who do things that we don't like in church. You forget about people who don't know how to act when they show up at a church. But you also forget about the people who are really nice and seem to have their lives together and don't seem to have a need for church. And this one sermon by Peter, very short sermon, says God doesn't show favoritism. In fact, he wants all of those people to be invited to hear about him. You see, it would have been easy for Peter at the end of this to go, well, I'm preaching to all of you except for you, Cornelius. You're already a pretty good guy. So you don't need this. But he doesn't say that. He says, here's the deal. Jesus died and rose again. You get forgiveness for sins whether you've been a pretty good person or not by accepting that gift. Uh, There's a family uh, that I grew up with and I'm not gonna use their real name, but uh, a friend of mine who's another Christian used to talk about this family and he actually uh, created a label with their family. We'll call them the Smith family just uh, for the sake of uh, keeping them anonymous. And uh, he said that the Smith family was so good and so nice and they served the community so well that none of the Christians around them ever felt the need to invite him to church or tell him about Jesus. And so he said that he actually called families like this, the Smith family. He, he would say like, well, they're like a Smith family because those are the people that sometimes we forget need an invitation to hear about Jesus because they have it all put together. I can say that that Smith family is now a church-going family, at least part of them, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, but we have in our heads, do we not, a certain type of person that we think it's acceptable to invite to church to hear what God has put on the hearts of the speaker. They're not too bad, but they're not too great either. They have some needs, uh, but not too many. They kind of look like one of us, but they kind of recognize that they need something else. And what Peter's sermon and this whole passage says is that God has invited everybody now into a relationship with him. And we who are his followers should invite every type of person to hear about that gospel. In verses 44 through 48, we see the conclusion. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Here's my question. Who would you be astonished by if they came to church and became a Christian? Who would it be? Because those people should be invited to hear about Jesus. If I preached a sermon and they were crying afterwards saying, I want to talk about, I want to know Jesus, I want to pray to Jesus, I want that forgiveness, who would it be that you'd be astonished by? Because you shouldn't be. 
Because the question of whether God had certain type of people that he wanted to bring into a relationship with him was answered a long time ago. And the answer was God does not show favoritism. Perhaps all, all that stands in the way of that person that would surprise you by them becoming Christians and becoming Christians is you inviting them to hear the words of God as we study them and read them and preach on them on Sunday morning. Perhaps the only thing that is preventing the person who doesn't look like they'll ever be a Christian from being a Christian is your unwillingness to invite them to hear the words of God. But you might ask, why would I need to invite anyway? You know, I mean, can't they just show up to church? We do a fairly good job of marketing. We pay for Facebook advertising. I mean, we're on Instagram. We use Buffer. We're all over the place. Can't they just show up out of church? And you already know the answer, right? Sometimes people need an invitation. Not just for Jesus stuff, but just in life, right? I mean, sometimes people need to have somebody say to them, hey, there's this great new restaurant down the road. Even though they knew the restaurant existed, people need an invitation sometimes. Now, I think one of the problems we run into uh, as Christians, I have a little bit of an illustration here, in America today, is that we go, everybody's heard the gospel. So I don't need to invite them. Everybody knows they can go to church. So what's my invitation going to do? I mean, what, what's, what is it gonna matter, right? And I think it's like cookies. Um, these smell really good. They're making me hungry. They're not, I actually bought them at a store and put them in because it was easier. But I think it's like this. I think if the gospel is a cookie, we, that's an easy connection, right? I mean, it's good and it's good. We can, we can make that connection. If the gospel is a cookie and God is the baker of cookies, I think that what we have in our country today is a lot of people who smell cookies. They have a general idea that somebody has made an offer of something good and it's connected to a man named Jesus. And that's about as far as it goes. And a lot of people even that are around Christians a lot of times, you could say that they live you know, close to a place that sells the cookies. And they walk down the road and they get whiffs of it, they, they smell it, they have an idea about what it's all about, but I think we're surrounded by people who don't know that they've been invited to take a bite of the cookie. I think we are surrounded by people who have smelled the cookies, who have smelled the gospel, but they haven't really understood what it's about. Perhaps they've never even seen a cookie. Perhaps the gospel has never been explained to them in a straightforward way and they don't know what they're missing out on. And perhaps it's because you've never said, hey, I go to a cookie shop on Sunday mornings and you can come too sometimes. Now, in Peter's sermon, once again, he, he called it good news. Did you notice that? Good news. And this comes up every week as we talk about how to be a witness. The gospel story is not bad news. The world wants us to believe that we are jerks for saying people need a savior. We're not. It's good news. God has done something 
that is beautiful, it's good. It tastes good. The Bible uses that metaphor. And you can come with me and hear about it. Now, I don't want to get to heaven someday and have God say to me, you knew a hundred people who had had a whiff of what I was like. They kind of had an idea of what it might taste like even, but they never knew what the gospel was because I never invited them to find out. I just think this morning what God has commanded me to say is kind of maybe just to some specific people. And I think that the first person that I need to talk to this morning is the person who says, the gospel isn't for people like me. Christianity isn't for people like me. It's for people like them. It's for people that have it a little more put together, that kind of fit the mold, that grew up in Christian homes. And this story says God has invited you, you, to taste and see that he is good. He has invited you, no matter what you've done in the past, no matter who your parents are, no matter where you grew up, he has invited you to believe that Jesus is the savior of the world and to accept him as both your Lord and your savior. But there's, there's another person here that I think God wants me to talk to today. And that is, that is you who, who have somebody that you want to invite, but you have all these reasons that you're not inviting them. Like maybe they're too busy or maybe they seem too far from God or maybe it seems like it's going to be too foreign to them. You know, they didn't grow up in the right uh, family. Maybe they won't fit in in our church. Maybe it doesn't seem like it's relative to them. Maybe they seem like good people to you and, and do they really need to hear about Jesus? Maybe they seem like they live too far away. Maybe they won't like our church. Maybe, but the disciples were astonished that these people in our story would become Christians. And if you'll choose to invite others to be a part of what we're doing, you might be astonished by the work that God does in their lives. And then the, the last person or people that, that I think God wants me to address specifically this morning is those of you that just are great inviters. Some of you have a gift to invite other people to things. And really, people just respond to your invitation because they wanna hang out with you or because you are warm and welcoming and you invite in a way where they, they really feel like you want them there. You know, those types of things. And this is what I wanna say to you. You could change our church. You could change our world even if you will be a person who invites others. I mean, there are people, and you might be this person, that if you just took seriously the call that the Bible gives us to invite others to hear the words of God, then you double the size of our church in a year. Because people would come, they'd hear about Jesus, they'd accept Jesus, and they'd be a part of the kingdom of God. Now, this isn't all of us. All of us should be inviting, but I think some of you, it's not me, some of you have an important role to play in the kingdom of God and it's invitation. 
And I hope that you're not looking at people and saying, well, you know, they're probably too far off. And I hope that you're not saying, well, it's just an invitation. It's not that big a deal. Because you could literally change the world just by inviting others to hear what God has to say to them. I don't know which of those groups you fall into, but this is what I want you to know. God has invited everyone to accept his gospel and God wants us to invite everyone to hear his gospel. The question is, will we be a part of that or not? And the, and the bigger question perhaps is, who should you invite? Who should you invite? And this is the challenge for this morning. We have a fall kickoff coming up. It's not all building to that. We should be inviting every single week. But I want us, every one of us, to invite somebody to be here on that Sunday. If not for church, then for kickball, but I think the church is the most important part of that day. And we have connect groups coming up, and we said this in the annual meeting. I don't just want you to go to a connect group. I want you to invite somebody else to go to a connect group with you, even if they've been part of one. Say, hey, you know how good this feels? Will you be in my connect group? Have you ever felt that like, I, I know this from sports, and it wasn't because I was likable, it was because I was talented, but, but hey, be on my team, you know, be on my team. That's like the best feeling in the world. And what if you just went up to somebody in our church and said, be in my connect group? That says so much to them. And so the challenge this morning is not to make this theoretical. I should invite everyone because God has invited everyone. The challenge is to go out and invite somebody to be a part of what we're doing. Will you pray with me? Lord, I ask that we would be an inviting church not because we want to get bigger, but because we want to grow your kingdom. Uh, not because we feel a need to have a thousand people, God. In fact, I think a lot of us here love the size of our church right now. Uh, but because we feel a need, Lord, to have people hear what you have said. God, you have given us the greatest gift. <laughs> Lord, I... As I smell these cookies, I, I just, even just a smell of what you have done and what you have offered on the cross is beautiful, but how much better it is to fully taste forgiveness, hope, and joy, and love, and peace, and a future, God, uh, where we will live in perfection. I mean, it's so much better to taste it. And so I pray, God, that first every person here would know and accept your gospel, you as Lord and Savior. And I pray that every person here would make it a point, God, to invite others to hear it too so that they may see how great you are and how great the news of your death and resurrection is. I pray these things in your name. Amen.